This podcast doesn't rely on clicks or advertisers to exist, but on listeners. If you've been thinking of donating to the show but haven't yet, now is a great time to do so. Become a recurring supporter at patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast. Give a one-time donation online at paypal.me slash permaculturepodcast. Or drop something in the mail. The Permaculture Podcast. P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. In this episode, co-host David Bilbrey continues to explore the intersection between permaculture, regenerative business, and the paradigm of capitalism by speaking with Alex McIntosh and Mario Garcia of Thrive Natural Care. Together, they talk about how a company with a strong ethos can influence their competitors in the marketplace while still caring for their business partners and customers. Listen to this conversation to learn more about how we can change the system from the inside by modeling our preferred actions for others. I'll join you again afterward. Hello, this is David Bilbrey with Ecothinkit.com and the Permaculture Podcast, and I'm here today with Alex McIntosh, who is the co-founder and CEO of Thrive Natural Care. And from Costa Rica, we have Mario Garcia, who is the Director of Sustainable Operations down in uh, Costa Rica. Welcome, guys. Thanks, David. It's good to be with you. Thanks, David. So uh, Alex and I met a couple of weeks ago in San Francisco at the Region 18 conference, which is a regenerative business conference. A lot of amazing people and amazing stories and, and great enterprises uh, going on. So that was a really uh, a great week there. But after I heard Alex's story, I, I really wanted to go into more detail and depth. And so here we are. So Alex, to start out, first of all, tell me a little bit more about Mario, because you, you mentioned some things before we got on the call here. It's funny for me to introduce Mario, but it was my luck to meet him, gosh, about four years ago. And what I'll just tell you, because he's so modest, is um, he came highly recommended from some of the leading botanists in actually in the world and um, had been doing a number of things, both uh, with plants and then with commercializing uh, plants in Costa Rica, but with, I think, a very good ecological background. So we were introduced, uh, Mario interviewed for what was our first sort of open position um, in Costa Rica. And um, since then, he has built out a really beautiful uh, start to a regenerative supply chain in Costa Rica. And that's meant sort of untold hours of work with rural farmer partners, um, with ecologists, with students, uh, with business people. And so a lot of our success in the United States that we've got now, which we can talk a little bit more about later, our business model and how we portray that to customers is actually because of Mario's efforts. Uh, so um, it's been my pleasure to work with him both as a colleague and a friend for these past four years. And that's why I'm glad he's on the call because um, he really literally has been doing this on the ground in the dirt uh, for the last four years. So uh, tell me a little bit about Thrive Natural Care and what is it and how did you how did it begin? So the simplest way to describe Thrive uh, Natural Care is uh, we use regenerative farming to make high-performance natural skin care. So regenerative farming to make high-performance natural skin care. Our regenerative operations are, as I just mentioned, now in Costa Rica. And we sell our final products on our own website, thrivecare.co. And we also have a special partnership with Amazon, and we sell in Whole Foods and other natural grocers. So that's sort of how people find the end result of the cool stuff we're going to talk about today. And I think past our own business, what Mario, myself, and our other founding team are really kind of passionate about is we're aiming to grow Thrive into a leading model for regenerative business and for human health. And our example that we want to set, it's, you know, we didn't invent regenerative. Um, we've been, a, I think, a good, loyal and fast learning student of it. But we want to make Thrive a proof point so that other extractive industries, whether it's fisheries, timber, uh, mining, forestry, anything that takes from the soil or from the land, instead of looking at the sort of conventional paradigm today, which is sustainable, which implies that you keep going and don't make it worse. What we really want to do is we want to give the world an example, uh, be one example of going far past that and actually leaving things better, having a positive footprint. And so that's kind of what we'll get into today on this conversation. So tell me about the origins of Thrive. Yeah, so I'll start a little bit, um, but I think where it really becomes interesting, as I said before, David, is um, with respect to Mario. But the origins of Thrive actually began, my own background was, I was uh, uh, one of the leaders at the Nature Conservancy, 
so I was familiar with large-scale ecological projects in restoration and conservation. And then also I was an executive at a division of Nestle. And those two worlds sort of came together. And uh, where it really sort of hit home was a trip that I took my family on to Costa Rica back in, I think it was 2011, maybe 2012. And I was introduced to a couple things that I found very beautiful, but the most, and I think the thing I'll focus on here, is Costa Rica has made some really, really visionary bets on the future. And that those really inspired me. And I felt that those bets, if they could inform this idea that I wanted to bring to life, would make it better and stronger. And I felt Costa Rica was really an ideal place to do that. And they're the things that many people know. You know, there was a civil war back in the 1940s in Costa Rica. Um, actually demilitarized and every year since the late 40s they've put all the money that would have gone into education and healthcare I'm sorry into the military they've put that into education and healthcare and today as a result they live longer in Costa Rica than we do in the United States they have a higher literacy rate their democracy is a very functioning democracy it's not perfect but they've they've done many things they've had female presidents um, and they also have a national carbon neutral goal and have powered their country several years in a row, greater than 300 days um, on renewable energy. And they've actually set a goal to decarbonize their entire economy in the coming decade. And I just think Costa Rica is an example of they don't have all the money in the world, but they're functional and they're very proud of the example they've given. And for me, the opportunity to start a regenerative business in Thrive with that type of leadership, with kind of the figurative soil the aspiration that they have. To me, I thought we would learn, I would learn just as much as I could share. And so far that bet has paid off. And I think Mario is a very good example of that um, in his background and what he's helped bring to life here, David. That's amazing. I didn't realize all of that about Costa Rica. So how did you and Mario meet? So I have a lot of spies in Costa Rica uh, that are in the, uh, in the, um, the ecological and the environmental world. And um, a couple of them, when we were describing what we needed was someone who, we had this idea of building a regenerative business. And the start of the regenerative business was we realized that since we were making a consumer product, David, that would be selling in the market, we wanted to actually tell the story of a regenerative business to consumers. And in our case, we knew that most of the consumers are not looking for regenerative business when they're thinking of what to shave with or shampoo with or what have you. But we wanted to connect the dots in a really meaningful way. And so for us, that meant the ingredients that are in our first lines of products that we've designed, two plants came from a list of about 500 that we were um, lucky enough to work with some of the foremost botanists in Latin America. And when we had narrowed the list down, David, to two plants that had three qualities that were very important. The first is the plants had to do something for people's skin or their skin health that was superior to synthetic equivalents that were on the market. The second was they had to play an outsized role in either the soil or the biodiversity or both in restoring and strengthening those. And the third was that they weren't widely known. We didn't want to go take wild plants out of the jungle. They had to be domesticated, but they had to not be very widely used. And once we narrowed the list down, we needed to find someone who could build relationships with farmers where we could work with them on the farmer's land to grow these plants and to see if we could really make this business work. And this, again, was back in 2012, 2013. And the best advice that I got was from some of my professors from grad school uh, many of whom were from Latin America. And they said, look, you're a nice guy, but you're a white guy who lives up in San Francisco. And if you think you're going to fly down to Costa Rica and tell all these people you know, how to do this, you might as well pick something else to do because it's not going to work very well. And so the advice that I got was to find great leaders. And a couple people put Mario on my radar and a, a very, very good woman that we were working with. Carmen. Carmen, exactly actually conducted a sort of a nationwide search. And Mario has a great story that he can tell you about sort of how he chose to come and what he went through. But the long and the short of it is that um, that Mario um, was a very, very capable and attractive person. And he was crazy enough to get involved in this before we really knew what we were doing. And he's built it out. <laughs> Mario, just tell, tell David just a minute about when you got this sort of strange email and what led to you joining Thrive. Yes, yeah, so uh, David, what happened at that time is that I was working for a biological station as a botanist on the South Pacific coast of Costa Rica, about eight hours away from San Jose. And I got an email 
that uh, said that I had been chosen from a pile of CVs to perform a job as botanist collecting plants. And I said, well, I haven't sent my resume to anyone, so this should go to spam. So I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to look at it, right? Because I'm not, I'm comfortable right here. So uh, I didn't reply back. I didn't even, I didn't even finish reading the email. Uh, but uh, then a, a couple of uh, hours later, a lady calls on my phone and it's Carmen, right? And she's like, Mario, I'm waiting for a reply. I sent you an email. I said, what email? What are you talking about? And she then explained to me. And I said, but how did you get my CV? And she said, well, uh, a friend of yours who works for the OTS, the Organization for Tropical Studies, sent it to me. And I said, well, I'm so sorry, I said to her, because I thought it was a spam email, and I didn't even look at it. And she's like, no, but we need you to come to an interview, she said to me. And the interview would be, I don't remember what day of the week. Anyway, uh, I said to her, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. You know, that, that specific day, I'm living in the South Pacific of Costa Rica and I have to travel to the Caribbean. So I will meet you guys at the, at the uh, place you guys are telling me to go. Well, that day, uh, I came out by boat for two hours from the deep jungle in the South Pacific coast. I uh, got to a little town called Sierpe, took a taxi for 30 minutes to get to the bus station. When I got to the bus station, just to get the tickets... To go to San Jose, the bus ticket, the guy tells me, I'm sorry, but there's no buses running to San Jose right now. Uh, there's a massive strike um, and they're not allowing buses to go through. So there was a, uh, some workers were uh, protesting in my country and, um, and I'm so concerned and so worried I'm not going to make it. Then a bus somehow came in and I talked to the driver and said, well, I'm heading to San Jose. So I jumped into that bus and I just managed to get there on time. Got to meet Alex and Carmen, and then as soon as Alex mentioned to me the fact that he was really looking into seriously, seriously working with farmers and doing something nice for my people here in Costa Rica and working with two native plants, you know, I got hooked into the, the whole idea, you know. So uh, uh, seeing the romantic side of the project, the vision, and even better, being part of it, uh, you know, so I could not uh, deny that beautiful offer, right? So, and since then, I started working for, for Thrive. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like a miracle that you even made it down there on time. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, it was crazy. Now, um, did you have familiarity with the specific plants that he was um, proposing to use? Well, there's another interesting story right there, right? Because uh, as Alex... And Carmen and me were talking, you know, Alex tells me that he has this beautiful job and that I just need to collect two plants. And uh, one plant, he needs me to collect about four kilos and from the other one, about 10 kilos and that he wants to work with, work with the farmers and all of that story. And I'm like, yes, that's just so great. And I say, well, I would like to know what plants you guys are looking for. And then uh, Carmen and Alex look at each other. They're like, yes, but that's confidential information. I like, oh my goodness, you know, so uh, guys, you know, how am I going to accept <laughs> this job if I don't know what plants are you talking, you're talking about, right? I don't, I don't need to know what you guys want to do with the plants, but at least I need to know the name of the plants. And then Alex, uh, he gave me the name of the plants uh, very kindly and, and, and he said to me, uh, Lipia Alba and the other one is a Rabidea Chica. And I was like, oh yes, I know those plants. I know exactly where they are, so for sure, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll manage to to work with you guys. And and it was a, a very interesting, uh, extremely interesting interview. One of the best interviews I ever had in my life. Why were you familiar with those plants? Well, uh, Juanilama is a very common plant that is uh, used in Costa Rica, especially to treat stomach aches. So when I was a kid, um, my grandmother, my uncle, who unfortunately liked to drink a lot of alcohol, and he was always hangover, right? So he would ask me to go and get some uh, Juan de Lama leaves. My grandma as well to make some uh, home remedies for other relatives. So there was Juan de Lama uh, or Lipia planted in the backyards of several houses. And I would go and pick it up. And the other plant, which is a Rabidea chica, I was familiar with it because a, a good, good, good uh, friend of mine and mentor of mine and good friend of Alex and Thrive, whose name is Rafael Ocampo, he had been working with that plant for years, uh, trying to make something 
commercial from it, and he had not been able to do so. So right there, we saw an opportunity to create company through a company like Thrive. So this is a, a product or a plant that um, has properties for skin care, but also as a hangover helper? Definitely. You can drink the tea made out of it for stomach problems, for hangover problems, you know, many things, right? It's an anti-inflammatory, very good plant. And so the thing that made, I guess, just to put a little context on this. So what I really liked about the first couple of meetings with Mario is the idea of what we wanted to do is very clear, David, but we, we, and this vision of, of how we're going to go about it, but, uh, we didn't know actually how to build it out. And that is where Mario's background was really useful to us. And I think what's been really rewarding for me as, as one of the co-founders of this is to see not only what Mario has built, but also the path that he's creating. Because really what this model is, if you had to really simplify it down for you know, sort of permaculture or regenerative purposes, it's this. It's go to an ecosystem, find places that are degraded or eroded, reintroduce plants native to that ecosystem, and select them with an eye towards benefits to humans, but also a very key benefit to the ecosystem, in this case, soil and biodiversity, and then work with local farmers on this land to grow them, to cultivate them, to harvest them, such that there's a corresponding benefit to the soil, to the biodiversity, and then from the actual yield, the output of the plants, the farmers have a sustainable and improved livelihood. And if you think about that model, it can play, I mean, we're starting it in Costa Rica, and I kind of explained why I was very fortunate to, to have been able to start with Mario and his countrymen. But that model can play out in many, many ecosystems, right? And so it could be, you know, a Thrive version that's in, in Africa, a Thrive marine, a Thrive ocean. And all it requires is reintroducing or cultivating something that was native to bring back a degraded area. And for me, partly why I think I was excited to meet Mario and then other people who joined our team is that they not only understood that, but they wanted personally to bring that to life and they've kind of made it their own. It's not my idea. It just sort of became an agent doing it. And so that's really what Mario has been building out these past four years in Costa Rica. And you and I got to share some of that together a few weeks ago in San Francisco. I just love this on so many levels. <laughs> so it's a it's a business enterprise that has benefits for the ecological system and restoration for the ecological system. It's got social aspects because you're creating a, a, a business where you're taking care of these local farmers and helping that local community thrive. I mean, it's just, it's everything. You're firing on all cylinders here. <laughs> so let's step back a little bit, Alex. Tell me a little bit about how you develop this sort of paradigm and mindset to even have an understanding that you could do something like this? Yeah, well, it's a great question. And I, th I think the shortest answer is the most honest one, which is to do anything big, you have, you need to stand on the shoulders of the, the sort of pioneers who came before you. And that's true both for social as well as sort of ecological or environmental progress. And so I've been very lucky in my life to work with some very inspiring people, everything from, you know, sort of thought leaders in sustainability, the Hunter Lovins, the Bill McDonough's, the Bill McKibbins and so forth, to uh, people who are really looking at more from a social side, David. And what I think really became my motivating force after having worked on sustainability at, a, you know, a very senior level in the corporate world is that sustainability is not sufficient. It sort of implies that everything we have now is intact and we just don't want to leave it worse, right? And so the shortest way to answer your question is the people that I was lucky enough to work with in my career set me on a path of asking the question of what really is the legacy that, that I and by extension the Thrive team want to leave? And probably more importantly is if you're going to create a business model – do you want the business model to, to be asking the question of how do we be less bad? Or do you want the business model to be asking the question of how do we leave more good? And it sounds a little trite to say that, but it's a very, very different starting point. And I think you identified this when we first got going, which is 
the fundamental thing that Mario and I and Laura and, and Brandon and Karen and our team want to bring to life is that the design of our products begins with the idea of regeneration. And right now we're starting with our ingredients and we're asking ourselves, how can we design products that in and of themselves will be pulling a regenerative model through the system? And eventually, instead of just a few ingredients, the ones we're sourcing now in Costa Rica, how does that scale up? And there's some very, very smart people at you know, Patagonia and Dr. Bronner's and others that are kind of working on a new regenerative standard. But ultimately, our packaging, our logistics, like how does all this become regenerative? And I think it's that starting point of how do we begin with something that will leave a positive footprint is really what we want to do. And the reason that I'm able to ask that question is because I'm standing on the shoulders of people who struggled and thought and worked before me to bring those ideas to fruition. And now what we're trying to do is actually manifest that in something that is not only a business model about regeneration, David, but also informs, engages, and hopefully inspires our customers and even our retailers. And who would have thought, but I mean, one of our actually most supportive partners is Amazon. They've, they've actually gotten very, very excited and have featured a number of times this business model. And it's, of course, it helps their own purposes, but it just shows you that a different starting point, asking different questions can have enormous implications. And part of what I'm fortunate to do is work with a team that's been able to bring that to life. So tell me a little bit more about the, the company. So you started how many years ago? We incorporated the company uh, in the United States in 2012. Mario, some other ecologists that he mentioned, some entrepreneurs, we actually began the formal operations in 2013. Our products we launched in the market with Whole Foods in the United States in 2014. And we've grown slowly and now more recently, much, much more quickly since then. And today, if I look at some of the sort of final numbers, I mean, you know, when we started, it was just a few of us doing this. And now there's, I think, according to the latest numbers that Mario and team put together, there's 130 people, what we call actores socialis, social actors that are part of Thrive. So those include direct partners like the cooperative Copecuna, a woman-led cooperative that Mario uh, found, uh, as well as other students and you know economists and so forth. So there's 130 people that are now part of it. We're fortunate to be able to work with some big retail partners, as I said, Amazon and others that now are kind of sharing the story millions of people. And so what we're really trying to do is popularize this notion of leaving things better than you found them. That's kind of how we we put it into common language, this idea of restoration or regeneration. You piqued my interest with the the woman-led co-op. So there's a co-op that's involved. It's one of your vendors or how does that work? Yeah, I'm going to let Mario talk about this because it's really been one of the, my my favorite things that that he's done. But I'll just frame it this way. So when we were starting this, I mean, it was it was like my money, Mario's sweat equity, and a bunch of other people, and we didn't, I mean, we had just nickels to rub together, and we also didn't know how to build this out. So we hired some very smart people from academia, both Costa Rica and the United States, and we piloted for the first three years with a few small rural smallholder farmers in the Caribbean side of Costa Rica. We we piloted all of this. So there was control and experimental plots. The control plot um, was sort of regular conventional management and the experimental plots were where we were using this sort of agroecological permaculture and indigenous techniques around restoration. And we did that for three years and we kept getting bigger and bigger every year. And then once we were at a scale where we felt we knew enough about how to really measure the soil and biodiversity and how to really make a difference in a way that was corresponding to a natural cycle. And frankly, when we also had enough market traction that there was enough demand to fuel all of this, um, we started looking for much larger partnerships. And that's where Mario um, came together with this group. And Mario, I'll let you talk a little bit about who Copecuna is and, and why they're a good partner for us. Yes, Copecuna is a group of uh, women and families that work together on the central Caribbean part of Costa Rica, uh, not on the coast, but a little bit, a little bit inland. Uh, we had worked with them sporadically, uh, buying uh, the beginning, buying Lipia Alba from them and from another organization that was very close to them. Thanks to the other organization, which was, I think, uh, called Andaris, that we got to know this co-op. 
when we became uh, bigger and needed more plans, I managed to talk to their manager, uh, whose name is Julio Valverde. And through Julio, we were able to meet uh, the president, Doña Giselle Monge, and some of the other women working there. And uh, these people were very, very willing uh, to commit, to partner with us, planting our plants under our techniques and methodology. And they were very enthusiastic about the fact that they were not only going to plant the plants, but they were going to farm the soil. So when I came up with the idea after a talk that I had with Alex, you know, and Alex, it tells me, Mario, remember that we are farming the soil. And I talked to them about that. You know, most farmers in Costa Rica would believe that you're crazy when you're telling me we're going to farm the soil. So what's the meaning of that? But when I talked to them about that specific idea, they were very enthusiastic and they said, well, that's so great and that's so cool. We're going to farm the soil, which means that we're going to create a much better soil that's going to give us much better plants we're going to have higher yields of production. So they understood everything right away. And the idea uh, sounded really, really deeply into their heads. And, and that's how we managed to start working with them uh, a few years ago, uh, David. So is this a worker-owned co-op? What's the model? It's a, it's a work-and-owned co-op. They have uh, women as a president. And, and uh, they are, uh, the general manager is a guy whose name is Julio. Julio, he owned a, a, a one hectare of land that he donated to the co-op and they're doing all kinds of small planting right there with mainly medicinal plants. But then um, the co-op members, all of them, they have chunks of land distributed around that area and the land was pretty much being used for regular farming. And uh, nowadays, they're turning those regular farms into organic farms with our plants in it. So, uh, but it's a, it's a worker-owned uh, co-op, yes. And David, I think just to throw a couple things in here, you've you know, been probably interviewing people enough and have learned enough about this since the epiphany you share with us to know how much work is involved in all these things that, that Mario is, is telling you. And there's two really interesting parts that I think make this story interesting from a uh, a regenerative or a permaculture or agroecological standpoint. So the first thing you mentioned earlier on is um, Mario and I and our team use this image in our head. We call it the banquito, the the sort of the bench or the stool. And the banquito is uh, our shorthand way of remembering three sort of imperatives every time we start a new partnership in what we're doing with our restoration in Costa Rica. One of those is the most important is around the regeneration and the restoration of the soil and the biodiversity. And so it's sort of taking stock of what is and then setting up a regime with our partners that over time, those places become healthier, okay, according to those metrics. And that's become much more sophisticated. The second is really because we're a commercial enterprise and we're trying to use the, the marketplace to fuel all of this is really around consistent, uh, high-quality, affordable supply. And the third uh, leg of the stool, and again, it implying the stool that these need to all be equal, is really around the farmer's livelihoods. And what sort of came together in this partnership that Mario and Julio and Doña Giselle and others have, have built at Copicuna is those three legs of the stool now are, in my opinion, actually sort of quite beautifully being optimized. And so Copicuna is reintroducing native plants in a way and with a growing technique that is truly replenishing the soil and attracting biodiversity. The second thing about the affordable and consistent supply, I mean, you know, we could set all of this up, but if our cost of goods is, you know, five or 10 times the market rate, then this model that we're trying to share with the world is not going to be very compelling for anything but a nonprofit, right? And what's really beautiful, and it's a much longer story that maybe for another time, but what Mario and Copicuna have done is they realized that the real expense was not in the farmers planting the plants and growing the leaves and then selling us the leaves. They're making better than fair trade wages with that. The real expense is when we took those leaves to the commercial distilleries and, and extractors for those to turn into extracts and oils for our products. And those people were charging us a fortune. And those were not 
women-led co-ops, those were commercial enterprises, and they were doing what you'd expect the marketplace to do, which is to charge you a lot of money when there's not a lot of options. And so what Mario and Copacuna did to sort of optimize the second stool of the leg is after a year or so of piloting, we actually thrive, paid for, and had built a beautiful distillation unit after piloting a smaller unit for about a year. This distillation unit is installed at the woman-led cooperative at Copacuna, and Thrive paid for the capital expense was ours. And with a lot of uh, training and technical support over half a year or so, the Copacuna now has this distillation unit. And now what Thrive has is the farmers grow the leaves and then they take them to the distillation unit that's on their property. And they charge us now for the oil from the leaves. And instead of paying the market price of X dollars, Copacuna charges us X minus, you know, a few dollars. And the difference in that between the market rate and the lower rate that we're paying is how Copacuna is actually buying the machine from us over time. And so what they're getting is a huge capital investment with no out-of-pocket cost. And they are now buying this from us so that in some years out, it will be their machine. But it's only being utilized 10 or 15% of the time for Thrive's plants and the rest of the time the farmers can use it for their own purposes. And so this is partly how, just in the last year, um, the founding farmers, their income has gone up 40% in the last few years. And with Copacuna, just this now coming online, um, I think it was 6 or 7% last year because it's a much bigger base, but we expect their incomes to go up over time. And so it's moved the farmers essentially from selling a commodity, which is the leaves, to a value-add product, which is the oil. And so back to the sort of holistic idea and way of looking at things, it's really trying to tie together designing products so the raw ingredients themselves are generating the change in the way they're grown and doing that in a way that really benefits the farmers. And the farmers have been our equal partners. And the last thing I'll say is part of the reason that Mario has done a good job, but it's difficult doing this in, under these conditions, is we know that this model will not scale among the farmers unless it is effective it's fairly simple and it makes economic sense. So we could go in and come up with the, you know, the most complicated, expensive ways of doing this and really optimizing for soil regeneration or for cost. But if the farmers all see this as a very expensive and complicated proposition, it won't scale naturally. And Mario has had many inquiries from other farmers who've heard about this model from their neighbors and want to adopt it. And so that in our minds is one of the great benefits of having our rural farmer partners is because they're helping us keep this practical and, and sort of efficient and affordable at their level. It keeps getting more beautiful. I love it. Uh, just one sort of detail question. What is the cost of one of these distillation uh, machines or equipment? Mario, if you factor in what we paid for the construction, for the technical support, and for some of the other elements that were part of this this project with Copacuna, what does it all come out to? Is it like seventeen, eighteen, twenty thousand? Yeah, What's the total? It's, it's for nineteen thousand uh, dollars. The end result of that, uh, David, and uh, and I would just like to add the fact that uh, besides the building of the uh, distillation unit and giving all the support to the farmers. Thrive is also, since the very beginning, and I don't think, Alex, you mentioned this, since the very beginning, Thrive is also taking the risk of growing the plants, right? So we just didn't come to the farmers and tell them, here are a few plants, you guys have to plant them and you have to put these amendments. No, we are paying them a certain amount of money so they can get the amendments and we will take all the risk so if the project, well, that was mostly at the beginning, right? So before we yeah. got to this stage, uh, if the project wouldn't work, then Tribe would have taken all of the risk. Now we know that, that it works well, but uh, that's something really nice, uh, at least on my end in Costa Rica. You know, usually if you want to plant potatoes or tomatoes, uh, you just go and buy the seeds and you plant them. And if rains come and your plants end up dying, well, sorry for you, right? That was not the case with Thrive, you know. Thrive was always willing to help the farmers take 100% of the risk, right? So farmers wouldn't end up losing anything, but just perhaps a little bit of time that they are put into the planting and, and the managing of the stuff. And so, David, just I'm glad Mario brought up that point. So the two things to add on this, just to kind of make it more colorful for, for your audience. 
So remember, I mean, part of the argument we're making is, look, if a small company like Thrive can do this, the big guys can and they should too. There's no reason with the resources and the people and the expertise the big companies have, whether they're making iPhones or tires or personal care or blankets, there's no reason that some division, some product can't take this on. And actually, what Mario just told you is is actually a piece of advice that he gave me early on, and, and it actually involved a lot of risk for me. And I asked Mario, what's the biggest hurdle we have here when we were getting the, trying to figure out how to start all this. And he said, look, we have technical people that are helping us figure out how to really do this regenerative. We're, we're figuring out what to measure and control experiment. But he said, honestly, I've seen a lot of well-intended people come to Costa Rica and other places and talk to farmers and tell the farmers that here's this great fill in the blank, a flower, a nut, a seed, whatever it is, and we want you to, to grow it. And we're going to create a great market and great products. And the farmers work really hard for several years. And then there's nothing for them to show other than uh, having put a lot of time and work into it. And so I think what has been a learning for me is Mario told me early on that we needed to make a commitment to these farmers for at least three years. And at this point, I had not brought in any outside investors. So I committed my personal money to set up this program and have payments to the farmers for their effort for the first three years. And that was pretty scary, but it certainly aligned me with making this work and to realize that you know we were asking a lot of the farmers, but we needed to do that too. And I'm glad that Mario suggested that. And then the second point is to say, from the beginning on the business side, we have actually included all of these costs in our financials, right? So if you think about it, at the end of the day, if we're creating these products and we're doing this with this beautiful regenerative and, you know, sort of permaculture and agroecological techniques, but it's costing, you know, 10 times what the market rate is, no one is going to want to adopt that as a model. And so our utility as an example would be much diminished. And so we've from the start been building this in our into our, our income statement, our balance sheet and so forth. And what's really been remarkable is Mario and the farmers, and you remember this, David, from our, our time together in San Francisco a few weeks ago, we have these two ingredients. One is the oil and the cost of that Mario and the farmers have reduced our cost from the starting price to the current. They've reduced that by 88%, 88% over four years. And for the Fredericia Chica, the, the other ingredient that is part of our regenerative operations, they've reduced the price of that by 46% over four years. So today, the rate that we're paying for the for the oil of the Lipia is it's about double the market rate. And we're still working on getting that down. But the other one, the the extract, because of some really good work by Mario and our colleague Lauda, that actually, we're now producing that 36 percent below the market rate. And so the reason I bring this up is just to remind ourselves that this is a business. And part of the way we want to prove to the world that the world can and should do this is by making it make business sense. And so that's, if you think about the commitment to the farmers and building that into the balance sheet and the income statement, that is what we're trying to do here. So by way of comparison, a similar company that is not taking all of this care for for the earth and the people, but say it's a, a natural and maybe even organic product uh, of similar you know type. What is your? I guess I don't want specific numbers, but what is your ratio of, of success or number of years to profitability? Like, I don't know whatever pick the metric, but what is your model looking like compared to companies that aren't uh, involving so much care and concern for all of the s- stakeholders in the process? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the simple answer is it depends a little bit on the size of the company. So if there's company A and they're already doing, say, 50 million in sales a year, which we're not. I mean, you know, this year we're, we're hoping to get our sales up to a million dollars. We're just we're just getting Thrive going. But uh, if you're doing 50 million dollars, then what we're talking about, that assumes that let's say if it's um, making personal care products, let's just take that. So it's, you know, shampoos and soaps and so forth. And they're doing 50 million dollars a year. So assumedly that company must, and they've probably got great values if things are organic and healthy and so forth, but they're really looking to kind of take it to the next level and really have a positive footprint. So assumedly they have 20, 30, 40 products and they can easily pick one or two out and say, okay, for a new product or maybe for a revision of the one we have now, how could we design this to have a regenerative impact? Let's start first with the ingredients. And so they might pick one or two ingredients and they can easily fold that into the cost of a much larger company in a way that would be almost a rounding error, but would be the start of the journey. And I think this is really what Mario and I and our whole team have learned is that to really be inspiring, you have to have a big vision. 
But in order to get there, you have to take it step by step because it's so overwhelming in doing all of this stuff. And there's so many things that go wrong and, and, you know, don't work the way you thought. But if you can take it stepwise, so one of these companies that is much larger, if they pick a product or one of their new products and they say, how can we start the regenerative journey with this? And they'll probably start with the ingredients. Maybe they'll start with something on the packaging. And maybe the first step is, you know, fully recycled plastic. And then the next step is bioplastics. And then the last sort of step might be actually reclaiming plastics, you know, from the ocean gyre or whatever it is. These are all things that we're thinking about. And I think it's just a matter of having the orientation towards restorative, towards regenerative, and then breaking it down into pieces, just like Mario and the team have done here. And so from a cost standpoint, it wouldn't be that expensive for a larger company. For a small company, it's just a matter of building it into their sort of core DNA and time to sort of fold it in. It depends. I mean, you know, Mario's trained me on these two plants. Um, they grow pretty quickly, actually much more quickly than we envisioned at first. But from the time you plant Mario, uh, these two plants until you're sort of, you know, fully harvesting it, well, how many months would you say that is? Well, from the time you plant for the first time with the vine, with the Federicia, you have to wait at least a year. And with mm -hmm. the other, with Lipia Alba, you have to wait more than, than, than three months. So three or four months and they're ready to be harvested. It sounds like you're kind of creating a template that you can use in other parts of the world and also perhaps share and just have other companies do this as well. I mean, is there a degree of this that you consider to be or you would like to be open source? Yeah, so it's funny. Mario, Mario and I were actually talking a little bit about this, uh, David, before the presentation that we gave in San Francisco. And uh, I'll start with the easy thing, which is what's the thing that we want to have a little bit more runway with and, and run with a bit in order to help sort of draw attention and differentiation to our products. So that is pretty easy, which is we sell in a very, very large industry, which is the sort of beauty and personal care. It's like a $675 billion global industry, which is partly what we're hoping to shift that big industry to this kind of way of thinking. And because there's so many products and so many good products, having these two plants, which are unique to Thrive right now in our, our products, the vine and the herb, and particularly because of the way they're grown, which makes them very healthy and very potent, there is actually a, a quite a bit of work that's gone into the cultivation of how to do that and, um, and how to transform them into the oils and extracts. And so for now, it's given us a nice story to be able to share with our customers who have many options as to why our products on a very, very long shelf in Amazon or in Whole Foods are interesting and, and different and possibly more helpful than some of the others that are there. But kind of more fundamentally to your question of, you know, what's the what's the thing that we want to share? And I think the first is just around the business model orientation. And that is the idea that you can you can and you should design products with an idea towards restoration or regeneration. It's possible you can make it successful. And we're already showing that in our early days. And so I think the elements of that, whether it's for personal care products or for food or beverages or other extractives, I think that's something that we can share. But ultimately, we, what we really hope is that both we and our farmer partners can, and we, we plan on this, can export this beautiful idea, just as Costa Rica is sort of showing the world, you can actually power your entire economy from clean energy. You can actually disband your country as military and use those funds for something else. And even though those are kind of radical ideas, the fact that they exist and they're being proven out makes it easier for everyone else to start walking in that direction. So I'm not saying the U.S. needs to demilitarize today, but it does make you question the amount of money we're spending on that versus other priorities and certainly things about you know carbon neutrality or even mitigation. So what we really want Thrive to be is an example like that of it's possible to aim much higher than just being less bad, being sustainable. And that is what we're trying to share and export as much as we can today. And there's a lot of other companies that um, we really respect that are working on parts of this and where we can, we collaborate with them. And ultimately, the ingredients themselves and what the farmers have learned, we want that to spread around the world. Because again, the core idea is going to places that are broken, bringing in native plants and recharging the soil and biodiversity in a way that not only benefits the ecosystem, but also the local residents, the rural farmers, and that idea can play out in every ecosystem in the world. This really is part of a, a solution to extreme poverty in a way that's not uh, a charity or a handout, but it's an empowerment. And it's, it also sounds like part of the, the model here is 
encompassing education is sort of part of the entire process. So they're they're receiving education and resources to build their own local businesses. You're receiving an education in, in which you're learning from them and, and, and living in a culture like that and just the, you know, the nature of, of being part of those small communities that have existed for, for a long, long time. So that's, that's beautiful. So Mario, on the ground in Costa Rica, what is this looking like in the local communities um, and like on a social level, even you know, what's growing there? What are you seeing happen? Uh, we've had uh, a few challenges working with farmers, right? It's very nice and inspiring working with them, but it's also, uh, it could be very difficult, right? Especially when you're presenting an idea in which they have to switch the conventional farming towards an organic farming. Because we are working with conventional farmers, people that perhaps uh, have heard a little bit about organics, but they don't care much, simply because it could be cheaper for them to spray herbicides every three months than using a weed walker uh, and machete every two or three weeks. With the amount of rain and water we, and, and, rain and sun we have here and temperatures, you know, everything grows uh, very quickly. This is, this is the wire. This is the jungle, right? So um, finding the right farmers, finding the right people that want to commit to work at this level was a little bit tricky, right? It was a little bit tricky. You find people that would say, yes, I'm willing to work organic and I'm willing to do this and do that. But at the end, they don't do it. We are not there 24-7, but 24-7 with these people just to make sure that they're applying the fertilizers, that they are not using herbicides or synthetics, right? But you have to start building up a good relationship and a good trust with them uh, so they're, they're honest with you and tell you what's happening. Besides that, you have to uh, do several tests every so often to make sure that all the amendments are being applied and you're seeing a uh, uh, what's going on with the soil. Not everybody is willing to do so, uh, David, but many people have seen good results. For example, one of our key farmers, Don Juan, he has a peach palm plantation. Peach palm is a very common fruit that we eat in Costa Rica and many other countries in Central America. Uh, it's producing a very tall palm and it's very tasty. You eat it and then people sell it, right? So Don Juan he had two places to observe what was going with his pitch pumps. One was our area where we're doing all, all the organic amendments. And the other one was another part of his farm where he was growing his pitch pump conventionally. Well, he saw that in the part where we were doing all the organic amendments and uh, we were treating everything nicer with lots of love and respect, he was seeing that plants were producing much better, that the yard looked nicer, so he decided to switch. And this we're talking about, what, Alex, two or three years ago, something like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. He decided to switch from herbicides to machete. So this guy who would spray his plantation back in the day twice every four or five months, now he rather bend down and use the weed walker and the machete every three weeks to keep his yard all green and beautiful. So he quit to using these things basically because through the example, Thrive was showing to him a good, a good way of doing things. So other people from the area, they come and see what's happening there. Uh, they see the big production. They see the beautiful farm. Uh, you don't even think of it as a farm. And people want to be part of it. So I think we're creating a, a, a great impact. I think more people... It's going to be very interested in the in the shorter time to be part of Thrive. And the only thing we wish is to keep growing so we can get more people involved in Costa Rica and more people involved in Central America and South America and the Caribbean islands. So at the end of the day, we're going to have a huge family of farmers working for our planet, producing beautiful plants, uh, creating more income for their own and producing great products uh, or great leaves for products that are going to be sold in markets around the world so people can benefit from it. Thank you, Mario. So, Alex, uh, on, the, on the business side of things, what has been uh, some of the biggest challenges you faced? 
Yeah, so I, I guess the short answer to that would be there's there's been two sets of challenges, David. There's there's one set which is almost inherent in any um, new business, and that is sort of figuring out the proverbial product market fit. So is the thing that you're building something that other people want, or maybe said another way, are you building something where there's market demand and communicating that in a sort of compelling way. Um, and then there's all the usual stuff of in the early days, unless you're a very, very unusual model, it's usually not profitable because you have a very small base of sales and operations to spread out your, your sort of overall cost structure. And that's for any business. I mean, conventional, regenerative, whatever it is. And then overlaid on that, I think, is what has been both really beautiful and ultimately helpful, but has made it enormously more complicated in the early days, which is, you know, we're working in two different geographies. We commercialized two plants that were new to the market for, for a specific uh, use, and we're building it with a, a very different business model, a regenerative business model. And again, we didn't invent that model, but it's one that we're sort of started from intentionally from scratch. And so, from a business standpoint, I think what that's what that's added is a lot of complexity and work and risk. What's interesting now is because we're in the middle of a of our sort of second fundraise. Um, the first one we did about a year and a half ago, and that went well. Is one of the typical questions that investors have is, you know, so you're an early stage company. This is risky. How do I know that betting on you, you guys will figure it out? And I say, well, I can tell you one thing. I'm sure you've talked to a lot of companies that have, you know taken on some interesting risks. I don't think anyone has ever uh, come to you with, you know, a regenerative business model that they've built from scratch and figured out in large degree how to do it across two different geographies, commercializing two plants and sort of bringing them to market in a very competitive industry. And luckily, sort of obtaining the support and actually the catalytic support of a retailer like Amazon. And so they kind of think about that and they say, okay, well, I guess if you guys can do that, you can probably tackle this or that. It's sort of become a joke because you're sort of introducing all these concepts that are so large. But from a business standpoint, now that it's all sort of come together, I think we're figuring out our team is how to talk about in a much more compelling way the work that Mario is doing and probably more importantly, why it's relevant to a customer. And I think in the end, that is probably one of the most interesting challenges that all of our brothers and sisters are going to have, whether it's you know, permaculture or it's agroecological growing or even organic or biodynamic, is we all know, the people of the choir, we being you, know, you, your listeners, and probably many of their families, we all know why this stuff is better for the planet. But the reality is, 98% of the world is not thinking about these things first. It's not that they don't care, just not their primary consideration. When Bob Smith or Susan Smith is walking into a store, they're not thinking, hmm, what four regenerative products am I going to buy today to support the planet? What they're thinking is, I've got half an hour before I've got to pick up the kids at soccer. I need to get my husband some toothbrush, uh, some toothpaste. I need to get some apples. I need to get something for dinner. And what we have to do, we being everyone who's sort of part of this movement of, you know, sort of transitioning to a, a much better future, is we have to figure out how to make these models relevant to our customers. It doesn't mean that it's the first thing that we talk to our customers about. It just means we need to be able to under, to convey to our customers why these models produce better products that are worth our customers' time and energy. And I think that is fundamentally one of the biggest challenges that your listeners and we all have in sort of talking to the outside world is making that case in a way that is compelling, that is succinct, and is relevant. And I don't think we've totally figured that out, Thrive has, but I think we're getting much better at it. Well, we certainly haven't figured it out as a regenerative community either. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but a model like yours, it really goes a long way to move that forward because you've got a, a living example that is encompassing all the different components you need for, for regenerative business. And so it helps define that for people who don't have a frame of reference for it. So... Where would you like to see Thrive going in the next 10 years? I'll say one thing, and then I'd love to kind of hear Mario's thoughts we talk about. But in the next 10 years, what I would really love for Thrive to be is, is a couple things. The first is I would like for us to be a large, successful company. And by large, I mean, you know, doing, say, $50, $100 million in sales a year. And that's not because I or Mario or any of our team wants a vanity metric. It's because scale matters. 
And if we're a tiny little boutique company selling a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of sales a year, it's very easy for the large companies that really need to take on these models to dismiss us as sort of irrelevant or um, hobby-like endeavors. And so for two reasons, I really would like us to have scale. The first is because I think the example to other extractive industries that I mentioned before, you know, mining, timber, fisheries, ag, to have scale means that that example is more relevant to them. And the second reason is because of what Mario said, and I, I won't steal his thunder, than to say that, you know, it's implicit in that revenue number of $50, $100 million dollars five, 10 years from now, is that there are literally thousands of farmers around the planet that are doing this work and the work of restoring the soil and bringing biodiversity back. And that to me is an enormously exciting thing. And I really think, you know, my, my last thing is, uh, you know, before I sort of turn in my name tag and sort of call it quits for this life, I'd really like to feel that I worked with some great people to build a better model for business. And we also along the way help, you know, millions of people live healthier. And that goes back to this idea of sort of translating this business idea of restoration or regeneration into something that's relevant to the customer. I'd really like to feel that what Mario and I did and our team in part is we gave people, customers in the marketplace, a much better product that let them look better that help them live healthier. And whether they cared a lot, a little or not at all, their purchase pulled through this entire set of actions, benefiting farmers, the soil and biodiversity in a really useful way. And so that's what I'd really like to have in 10 years from now is, is a big successful company that's proven that a business can aim much higher than being less bad. Mario, what, what would you want to say 10 years from now? Well, 10 years from now, I would definitely love to see a, a lot of people in, in Central American, Latin American countries being impacted on the very positive way by Thrive. But not only the farmers and the people, also the soil, right? Unfortunately, we don't have a single unique recipe to improve the soil because every single soil behaves differently. So the more area we try to impact, the more learnings we're going to have. And um, if we get those learnings quick enough, then we can transfer that knowledge to other people. So more soils will be benefited, more ecosystems will be restored, more biodiversity will be increased. And then, of course, uh, a lot more people would be impacted. That's what I would love to see from Thrive. So a lot of people working together in different parts of the world, uh, trying to restore the ecosystems, creating a, a positive footprint on the soil and the villagers of the different communities. And the last thing I'd say, David, just to, to Mario's sort of poetic answer is, um, you know, partly why we were excited to talk to you is because you've learned a lot about this. You're exploring a really cool topic that's very important to us. But also, you know, you guys have a lot of listeners. And the one thing we've learned, just like an ecosystem, is, you know, it's never one tree or one plant that makes for the whole ecosystem. It's the, it's the web that does. And I think, you know, the more we learn about this, um, Mario and me and, and our team, the more we realize that even though we're small and we don't have a whole lot of people right now that are sort of pulling this whole thing forward, is we're very interested in partnering with, you know, companies in our industry and other partners to build this out. It's not because it's Thrive's model. It's because Thrive is trying to build something that I think everyone can kind of get behind, which is this idea that we can leave things better than we found them. And so we're, Mario and I are, are, I think part of what I've really enjoyed watching Mario, and we were just talking about it before this chat with you, is some of the partnerships that he's built. And so, you know, our, even though we, we don't have a ton of extra bandwidth, companies, students, and others that are interested in kind of, you know, building out this vision of regenerative business, we're more than happy and we welcome the ability to kind of partner up and share and, and grow together. It's an inspiring story on every level. So um, obviously, we're telling it here on this particular episode, but I'll be telling it to quite a few people in different contexts, um, for sure. You know, uh, I've been looking at different models and different examples of even just pieces of what you're doing. And uh, I get excited every time I see it or meet somebody who's been doing it. In the case of some of the people at Regen 18, some of these people have been working in these ideas for 20, 30 years. So decades in, which is which is great. I'm glad someone was aware of it before I was. But 
it's really you should be very proud already of what you've got because i think it's a seed of something that can really really make a difference and really spread you know across the globe because there's some really key and painful problems that we're facing as as citizens of earth right now and this model is answering a lot of those and so as we can share the story show how it solves those pain points and these are some very intense pain points in some parts of the world the more and the quicker these ideas can spread so that it can bring thriving and life to many more people who are at the moment in extreme poverty illness suffering and political you know incredible political instability so it really is answering all of these socioeconomic problems and just the awareness that these problems aren't caused by some random idea but they're caused by they're caused by things we've done especially as companies and as governments in the west <laughs> and, and but all over the world and so just the awareness that oh we've actually caused this poverty and these problems in in some ways so here's a way we can actually be part of the solution first of all just by buying some shaving cream but then you know it just moves on from there but it really is it really does encompass a commercial enterprise that is also an education and all of the other things that I mentioned. So thank you for doing what you're doing. It is really special. And uh, I hope you all of the success that you want and, and much more. And uh, so as a way of uh, kind of wrapping things up, either of you can do this or both of you, uh, just some parting thoughts for, for our listeners. Wow. Well, I, your questions have been so good. You're, you've clearly uh, interviewed folks before. I think we've we've probably covered most of the points, and I wouldn't want to just repeat those other than to say, um, I think I'll share just uh, a story that, that is, is really meaningful as a way to kind of uh, wrap up here, which is um, one of the most powerful things in life is when you realize that the way things are is not the way that they have to be. And relatedly, when you realize that there are other people who also want things to be different too. And I think one of the things that has been most rewarding for me as an entrepreneur and just as a man is to watch um, what Mario and team have built around sort of shared values in Costa Rica, this idea that a company can aim much higher than being less bad. It can actually aim to be regenerative. And we don't pretend or claim to be perfect. There's a ton of stuff we still have to figure out. But I think in watching this grow and realizing that there's a community of people, some of whom care very deeply about you know permaculture or agroecological growing or even regeneration, but probably more broadly, just there's a very large, large community of people who would like to leave things a little bit better off, whether it's for their kids, their community, their colleagues, whatever it is. And I think the thing that I'd like to leave you with is um, just a feeling of gratitude to be able to share this with a community of people that trust you and and are interested in what what you guys are doing, and share a little bit of our model. And um, it's you know it's flattering to been asked these questions, but I think probably more fulfilling to realize that we're trying to share that deeper interest of leaving things a bit better than we found them. And so I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to do that. Mario, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Well, um, uh, just to wrap up things, guys, I would just like to say that there's uh, alternatives, right? So for the consumers and the inhabitants of, of our beautiful planet, we do have alternatives to leave the things better than we found them. We just uh, need to really look for them. As consumers, we have the right to know where our profit, where our money is going, what profit is it generating, and things like that. Sometimes we don't worry too much about it, but I think it's time that we start thinking where our money is going, who are we impacting, uh, who's benefiting from this. Those alternatives are out there, and, uh, and, and if we care a little bit about it, we will end up finding them. Thrive is just one of them. Thank you, Mario. Thank you, Alex. We probably will have to do some follow-up uh, interviews and go into more depth on several things that you guys brought up today because there's so much going on within Thrive. So uh, until next time, <laughs> it's been wonderful talking to you guys and uh, I'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, David. Thank you, David. And that was Alex McIntosh and Mario Garcia of Thrive Natural Care. Find out more about their company and products at thrivecare.co. Stepping away from this conversation, I am left considering the ongoing push-pull between doing what is right and what works for our time and place. 
as individuals, groups, and organizations interested in the environment and caring for people, that often means moving toward an ideal rather than jumping directly there. We must acknowledge the forces at play, what is beyond our control that limits the viable options, and where we can offer reformatory or revolutionary change. As Alex himself admits during this conversation, Thrive is not exactly where they want to be, but they're working on it. They're addressing many of those concerns about what they can and cannot control, and pushing towards reforming the giant market that is the skincare industry with a radical approach to supporting their providers while showing multi-million dollar companies what is possible, particularly at scales orders of magnitude larger than Thrive. I wish Alex, Mario, and the rest of their colleagues my best in reaching their goals, and look forward to David having a follow-up conversation with them in a year or so to see how they are doing. What do you think of this conversation? Are you involved in an industry that could use this model to institute change? If you were asked to lean into the work of Thrive, what suggestions would you have for improving their model? Let me, Alex, Mario, and David know. Leave a comment in the show notes. Give me a call, 717-827-6266. Send an email, show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. Or send me a letter, and I'll write you back. The Permaculture Podcast. P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. From here, the next episode is an interview with Pascal Baudar about his latest book, The Wildcrafting Brewer. Until the next time, may you flourish wherever you live while taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.